care team, led by Professor Sue Yendel at the University of Sheffield, is exploring how care arrangements currently in crisis in parts of the UK can be made sustainable and deliver wellbeing outcomes. We aim to support policy and practice actors and scholars to conceptualise sustainability in care as an issue of rights, values, ethics and justice, as well as of resource distribution. Our Care Matters series includes publications, podcasts and blogs from our team and others working towards sustainable care. Welcome to this episode of Care Matters podcast. My name is Obet Tawodzera. I'm a PhD student at the University of Sheffield in the Department of Sociological Studies. My PhD is linked to the Sustainable Care Program and is part of work package which examines the experiences of migrants caring in and out of place. My PhD focuses on how migrant care workers in the UK negotiate aged caring relationship with their overseas family members. I focus specifically on migrants from Zimbabwe and their family members in Zimbabwe. I examine how they negotiate potential cultural contradictions in approaches to elderly care and how this influences the way they organize care arrangements and care intentions for their elderly relatives. Given that they are situated in different contexts, I also look at how the care they provide is best mediated by new technologies. Within the Sustainable Care Program, there are a number of PhD students whose research is linked directly or indirectly to the program. In today's episode, I'm joined by Breda Maloney, Camille Allard, and Winnie Lam, who are PhD students whose research are linked to the Sustainable Care Program. Without wasting much time, I would like to invite them to introduce themselves and their research. I'll start with you, Breda Maloney. Thanks, Robert. As Robert mentioned, my name is Bridget Maloney. I'm based in University College Dublin, Ireland. I'm in my second year of a PhD programme of study. My research is exploring young carers' experiences of caring whilst attending secondary school and their perceptions regarding their future career. I'm also part of the CareWell team based in UCD also, which is a HRB-funded project group set up to do further research into family carers and employment. Thank you, Breda. Next, Camille Allard. Hi, Robert, and hi, everyone. My name is Camille Allard. I am a PhD student, and I am part of the Sustainable Care Program at the University of Sheffield. My project looks at how people who combine paid work and unpaid care can be supported in their workplace. More specifically, I am researching organizations in the UK which have implemented a set of practices and policies to support their employees with care responsibility. I am interested in understanding what are the outcome of these policies, whether it is beneficial for both organizations and working carers. I am also looking at differences among working carers in terms of accessing this support, for example, in terms of their gender, their ethnicities, but also their job role and their statue. Thank you, Camille. And uh, finally, Winnie Lam. Thanks, Sober. Hello, everyone. My name is Winnie Lam. I'm a PhD student in work psychology at University of Sheffield. My research is similar to that of Camille. It's about how people manage paid work and their elder care responsibilities. But I focus more on the experience of the individuals. So what do they do? How do they feel about their life? What challenges do they face? 
and what helped them in life or at work to manage the dual responsibilities. I collected data from Hong Kong and the UK, which also provides some insights on the similarities and differences of work care experience from a cross-cultural and policy perspective. Thank you very much for the introductions. Now let's discuss how people get to become carers. First year, if we start with you, Breda, we know that research on caregiving tends to be limited to adults' caregiving experiences of the young, the elderly, or other dependents, which has led to common perceptions that only adults provide care. How does your research challenge this perception? How do young people get into care? Well, I suppose to define a young carer, um, we'll go to the legislation. A young carer is a person who is under the age of 18 who provides or intends to provide care for another person of any age except where that care is provided for in payment or pursuant to a contract or as voluntary work. So they might look after someone because they're sick, they have a disability or a mental health issue. Or if a parent or a family member has an alcohol or a drug problem, they may be unable to care for themselves or anyone else. So really that's where the young carer, I suppose, initially comes in. And it's often the case where young carers may not even identify themselves as being a carer. Um, it can be very much a hidden background of care that's, that's happening. In the UK, there have been significant advancements made in relation to awareness of young carers through the Carers Trust and the Children's Society and legislation as well that has occurred for young carers. The Children and Families Act and Care Act 2014 has highlighted um, young carers' situation. But in Ireland, we have a bit of a way to go in terms of creating more awareness and more research in this um, aspect of, of care delivery and ties into the sustainable care programme as well for looking to our future carers. So I suppose in terms of where, where, where care starts, certainly um, from that age group, we would say that the under 18 or under 19 um, years of age person um, can be very much involved in care and has different you know, slants to that and, and impacts on them. And then you can move into the young adult care, whether in the um, early 20s age group, where they might be caring for a family member or a person that's significant in their lives and it impacts on their work or their education also. And in terms of progression of that then, um, as they go forward into employment or education, the young carer can progress in that manner. Yes, thank you, Breda. Um, you made a really good point about um, how we need more research about how young carers transition into employment. So what is interesting is that in my own research, I collected data about working carers in the UK, as I said, and I found out that some of them were actually quite young, between 20 and 30, and had uh, to step into care from a quite early age. And this had an impact on their employment opportunities. So some of them, for instance, delayed their employment for quite a while. So they, for example, took on voluntary role in charity shop or this kind of little voluntary uh, task to do for a while before they succeeded to finally get a job. But their decisions were always influenced by how they were going to be able to provide care to their family member if they were taking a job far away from the house. So we need more evidence about it because care definitely influences young people, young carers transition uh, to their employment. 
it can also uh, impact on them when they first walk in their in their workplace because they may be less keen to take on job opportunities like progress or taking more senior role in their workplace. They may also feel a bit more ma marginalized about whether they can uh, speak about their care responsibility because of their age, their very young age. Another important component that I found in my research was that the majority of these young working carers and the majority of working carers in overall are still uh, women. So again, there is a kind of like double sword on them, if I can speak like that, because of this, this care responsibilities that they have for their parents or their family relative, and also the possibilities that they may want to have children later. They kind of find themselves in a catch-22 in some sense. So we need more research about that. An important component of my research look at how it also depended on their job, so where they could access support or be recognized as working carer in their workplace. I found that frontline working carer, if we're having much more trouble, if their job were customer affairs or if they have very manual job with uh, shift hours, with restricted team, they had much more difficulty in accessing the support in comparison to working carers who were more administrative, office-based job role. So there is a gap here that maybe we need to research and we need to improve uh, support uh, for all working carers. What will be interesting to know is also what are the psychological effects of combining this double task of care and work. And I think here Winnie's um, research could be interesting. Yes, certainly. The experience of combining care and work is often uh, associated with having more stress, uh, be quite burdensome, having a lot to manage. But quite interestingly, in my research, uh, I found that there are both positive and negative emotions reported by my participants. So it really quite depends on first, how they perceive the dual responsibility. And secondly, echo to Camille's point, um, do they have enough support, enough resources to manage the dual responsibility? So uh, in my research, my participant reported that having the understanding and support from friends and family are quite important to them because friends and family can probably to help to do, let's say, uh, help with some housework, um, take up some responsibilities, or maybe just their present to be there with the working carers means a lot for them. The gifts of emotional and social support for them. On the work side, um, having the support and understanding from the line manager, colleagues, and um, having family-friendly organization policies such as uh, flexible work and Flexible time um, are quite important uh, for carers to manage the dual responsibility to respond to, um, let's say, any urgent issues or attend medical appointments. I just want to add that um, there are a lot of care activities or care tasks that working informal caregivers have to do or they tend to do. So um, what I found in my research is the multi-dimensional tasks or activities working informal carers have to do. So when it comes to caring, we often think about personal care and household support, but often working informal carers also provide social and emotional support, let's say comforting someone, providing some counseling, uh, check out if a person is doing all right. 
there are also a lot of admin tasks such as um, arranging medical appointments, um, negotiations with uh, pay carers, with healthcare facilities, uh, communications with other family members and do research on medical information and pay care facilities and so on. And in, that, in addition to that, informal carers are also caring for people that they know, let's say their friends and family. So they also care about a lot of the welfare and well-being of the people that they are caring for. So they also plan and attend leisure activities, family gatherings and holidays together. So I think when it comes to care, no matter it's for young carers, working carers or other informal carers, uh, we need to acknowledge the multi-dimensional of work, the variety of tasks that they're doing and acknowledge the mental load and also the consumption of time of the informal carers. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, um, Camille, certainly, um, oh, sorry, when, when we were talking about um, young carers and, you know, why am I undertaking this research? And this was something that was very significant for me in terms of that trajectory of care, you know, whereby if we have a very much anticipatory stance in relation to family caring um, as opposed to a reactive stance, um, and that is why I decided to look at the exploration of young carers, particularly at the secondary school phase before they embark on that employment career and just to balance the um, perception with the reality of what it's like to be a carer and absolutely um, time is hugely significant and um, certainly an awareness created around that is, is, is certainly pivotal. Thank you everyone uh, for coming to this uh, point, the one on combining our uh paid employment uh, with uh, providing care. We know definitely like being in paid employment combined with providing care is a daily life struggle for many people in our modern society. Within the migration scholarship, there's been quite a lot that's been uh, written about on the ability of migrants to reconcile familial care obligations uh, with demanding paid care work. So what we have with migrant care workers, it's a unique situation because as care workers, they are obliged to simultaneously respond to the care demands of their families and that of their employers. And on top of that, as migrants, they have limited uh, like informal support in terms of family and friends and experience uh, difficulties when trying to reconcile work and familial responsibilities. And this, in most cases, uh, could lead to a lot of difficulties for them when they are trying to care, especially when they are caring at a, at, a, at a distance, because in addition to negotiating the balance between their productive and reproductive labor in the UK, most of uh, my participants, when I was uh, talking to them, actually told me that they had to deal with the caring for their uh, aged family members uh, who are left back in Zimbabwe. And Zimbabwe brings us to a different context because retiring generally does not involve investment in pensions or stock market or other financial instruments. So the investment that people normally have is their children. And even those people who might have had these uh, kind of investment in pensions and stock markets, the economic collapse that has happened in the past two decades has sort of like wiped away uh, most of most people's investments. Now older people normally anticipate that their children will be the ones that will be giving them uh, this type of care. So for migrant care workers here in the UK, they will be caring here as micro, as care workers working in a, a, a older people's home, caring for the elderly uh, who are here in the UK. 
but they also have this familial obligation that they need to care for their elderly who are back in Zimbabwe. So that's where the transnational aspect of my research comes in on how do they do that. But it's more easy, like when we start looking here in the UK, we have to start unpacking how the UK is helping or is putting on strategies to help mitigate these situations where people have got this difficulty in combining care and work. I would like to know uh, now if I can direct this question to Camille. On your, in your research with organization, how do this organization help people in mitigating the work care balance? Thank you, Albert, for your question. And thanks for um, sharing with us um, finding about your research. I found it really interesting. And when I was talking about how uh, working carers' jobs matter in determining whether they can receive support, I think care workers are a really good example especially regarding migrant care workers, because the kind of organizational support which can be provided by organization, are, for example, care leave. So at the moment, care leave is not uh, legislated yet in the UK, even if we have a hope it can finally be legislated by the end of this year or next year, maybe. Um, so it's up to the company to provide it. And usually, so it's it's like maternity leave or paternity leave, but for carers. So it will be a week off and paid, a paid week off for carers to be able to go and provide care for the family member. So this is one example of support which can be provided. After there is question of whether is it sufficient, for instance, if your family lives in another country, does it give you enough time uh, to deal with a care emergency, for example. Another kind of support which can be provided and that I found in my studies is what they call the care passports. So an employee coming into uh, his workplace and telling his manager that he has care responsibility can have the opportunity to fill a care passport and be recognized in the entire organization as a working carer, as a person who needs to have his working pattern being adapted to his care needs. So it is uh, similar to, for instance, having flexible working or uh, having a reduced hour of work, um, compressed working hours, which can help, as shown by Winnie's research, that it can help alleviate the pressure between work and care for, for working carers. So this example of organizational scheme are quite good in supporting um, carers' health. For you, Winnie, did you find any kind of difference in terms of uh, working carers in Hong Kong? What, what kind of support was there for working carers? I think in terms of carer support, both places, that is uh, the UK and Hong Kong, are actually quite lacking. But I think there are some similarities of what carers need um, from their workplace. Uh, so a participant from both places mentioned that um, having supportive manager is very important. So if their manager is okay for them to, let's say, take leave uh, to attend medical appointment, be really supportive and understanding that someone, you know, just can't work overtime, just have to leave a bit early or come back a bit late, they usually find this very helpful. And on the other hand, if there are line manager is very rigid, um, not understanding, then it often creates stress or the feeling of frustration in working carers. 
Um, I'm not sure if there is anything that in your research, Camille, because um, I noticed that sometimes what the organization wants to do is quite different from what the line manager is actually doing. So the organization might want to support more, but it's sometimes things change a bit when it comes to the group or team level where the line manager is not very supportive, then it will still be quite stressful for the working carers. Have you found anything about it in your research, Camille? Um, yeah, that's a really good point, Bruni. That's really interesting. I found the same. There is a kind of a gap between the rhetoric about helping working carers and actually the practice of helping them. I think it's sometimes done to the line manager, but we also need to look at the organizational con context. So, for example, if you have some kind of economic pressure on the organization and the line manager has very precise target to meet, or if he has like a very restricted workforce where people are just not there, there is not enough people to do the work. So this kind of factor are going to influence whether the manager can or not support their employees with their care responsibility. So when we look at support, I think that's why it's so important to look at in terms of job sector, uh, business area, which kind of actually work is being done because a solution which can be good for people working in a more administration office best context may not be good for people who work uh, in hospital, for people who are care workers, for people who have more uh, shift-based jobs. Maybe they need another kind of practices. I think that's hugely significant, those points. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm involved in a project team in UCD, the CareWell project, who are looking at family carers and the, the balancing of work and how that is managed. And that is something that has come out in the early work in terms of the changing nature of family carers' trajectory and also the lack of, I suppose, policy and guideline within the workplace and also just, again, the lack of awareness. And as Camille was rightly saying, you know, there are different types of jobs that demand different hours and shift work. Um, and that can also impact where a blanket approach is, is not appropriate. And it comes down to the line manager um, having just a, a very individualized response. So, yeah, that's usually um, um, significant also. Just to come back to that point, Breda, may I just ask, because here we've talked quite a lot about organizations and especially a lot about those who are in who are working. But I believe in your research as well, you are looking at young people. Uh, what about those young people who are still at school or at colleges? How are they being supported to balance their school life and their caring responsibilities? Um, as I mentioned earlier as well, um, the UK is somewhat ahead in that respect. Um, you have a fantastic um, young care and school programme type of award um, it's actually in, in the whole of England as far as I'm aware and that provides a list of tools and resources to support young carers be it um, assignment and support um, recognition of their time within school and time at home and a degree of flexibility so that is fantastic. Here in Ireland we have an organisation Family Carers Ireland and they do have a young carer um, support group as well, which is significant, but again, just uh, probably a lack of you know awareness around that, getting the message out there. And I guess our numbers in terms of young carers, just to mention as well, 
I mean, within the UK, um, I think the overall family care, that's something that's going to come back to you to Obert about how a percentage of migrant carers um, or care workers are there in the UK. But out of the 6.5 million carers that are there in the UK, one in five young people are a young carer. And that's significant, whereby 27% of those young carers between the ages of 11 and 15 miss school or have educational difficulties. And just those that are known as NEAT, not in education or training, between the ages of 16 and 19 is a significant problem there as well. So there is that lack of support still where we have the transition from school to work to college, where there is a struggle there in support within Ireland itself as well. Our numbers obviously are lower. And I suppose we go with our general census and we have around seven and a half thousand of known young carers aged between the ages of 15 and 17 in Ireland. And estimates um, are, are, can be given um, a larger figure on that. But again, that's just known from the census. So at the minute, yes, we have our Family Carers Ireland organisation and they have the young carers support in that and they offer a degree of support as well to schools. But um, there is still a lot of work to be done. And that's somewhere, something where my research hopes to come in by getting in at that um, early phase of asking young care, what is your experience of caring and tying that in with their future prospects and that. So we get we get that degree of understanding and bridge that, you know, struggle that's there between school and work and employment. So, yes, thanks for that, Robert. And I suppose going back to my question is going to ask you about the numbers and statistics. Um, is that something that you can call on, Obert, in terms of trying to, you know, um, quantify the, the numbers of migrant care workers in the in, in the UK? Unfortunately, no. Uh, my research does not look at, uh, at the numbers, actually, of um, migrant care workers who are also, like, have got caring responsibilities because there is not much on that data because that would require a link between two countries in the context of my study. That would be between Zimbabwe in the UK. So I would say in my study that does not come up. It's difficult to quantify the number of uh, migrant care workers who are also like caring at a distance. But uh, what's there for now that um, uh, can be found, uh, especially uh, in the research, is that there is quite a large number of migrants who work as care workers here in the UK. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We hope you will join us for part two 